Welcome to the Liberty Baptist Sermon Archives. The message you're about to hear was preached at Liberty Baptist Church in Easton, Massachusetts. You can find out more about us or contact us at mylibertybaptist.org or just look us up on Facebook. And now we hope that this message from God's Word will be a blessing to you. Would you turn your Bibles, please, to 2 Chronicles chapter number 29 this morning. 2 Chronicles chapter 29 here in the Word of God today. And the title of my message this morning is this, Sanctification and a Cast Iron Skillet. I was hoping for a reaction, so let me say that again. Sanctification and a cast iron skillet. Amen. Now, uh, how, how many of you have a cast iron skillet at home? Any of you have that? I mean, we love our cast iron skillet at home. And one of the things that uh, brought this up to my mind was uh, some cast iron skillets that were donated to the church several months ago. Uh, I have one of them right here. Uh, I mean, these... Uh, this this one kind of looks, I mean, it's strong. I mean, this thing, it'll hurt somebody. Uh, in fact, I brought it in this morning and somebody thought I was bringing in a weapon, I think. But uh, uh, this is uh, it's strong, but it, it needs some help, doesn't it? I mean, look at it. It's rusted on the inside. And uh, it's, it's, I mean, I wouldn't want to cook a steak on it. I don't know about you, but it doesn't seem like it would be. But the thing is, is this, this could have been made 100 years ago, 150 years ago. I mean, cast iron just lasts, doesn't it? I mean, cast iron will outlast all of us in a lot of ways. This was donated a few months ago for our yard sale, and it has gone through two yard sales and still hasn't been purchased. This is absolutely incredible to me for a couple reasons. One, we're not giving it away. Now, at the yard sale, I found out everybody wanted to get stuff for free. Uh, someone wanted a microwave for $5, and I said, I will give it away. I will donate it before I sell it to you for $5. So, no, we didn't do that. But people want stuff for free, and this is, this is valuable, isn't it? I mean, when you look at it, this is a very valuable piece. But everybody that I've talked to, some of you are in this room, have had the same reaction to this. Oh, I, I love that. It needs some work. Because doesn't it need some work? I mean, it's going to take some effort. And what I have found is the case is that everybody has a great admiration for this cast iron skillet. Everybody loves the idea. Some of you get nervous the way I'm brandishing it right now. <laughs> oh, all right. <laughs> so, uh, so everybody loves the idea of this cast iron skillet. But really, people don't want to pay the price. And really, I don't even know that it's necessarily the price. It's the work. It's the effort. Because it's going to take some time to be able to get this rust off and to be able to clean it and to season it properly. Now, I know some of you think you can do it in five minutes, and that's okay. Uh, but, uh, but it takes time to properly. I'm not talking about throw it in your dishwasher and uh, make it come out in five minutes. I mean to properly to scour it, to break it down, to its elemental parts, and then to bring it back to life again. But I will say this, the process, if it's done right, is always worth it. Because this is something that you could pass down from generation to generation till Jesus comes back. And they'll probably be frying on it during the millennial kingdom if it's still around during that time, because it will last forever. But you know, when I was thinking about this cast iron skillet just this week, and maybe it was on my mind because of the yard sale last week and some other things, but uh, as I think about this cast iron skillet and I think about how people feel about the restoration of it and people feel about the work and the effort that goes into it, I feel that a lot of people have the same opinion of sanctification. People see the need. People see why it would be important. 
but yet they see in their own life the imperfections. Then they see their own general, could we put it this way, uncleanliness? Spiritually speaking, not physically, spiritually. And that when we've been talking about sanctification over the last few weeks, perhaps you've seen biblically why it's important. Perhaps you've seen why it's such a needed thing. Maybe you've seen the value in it, but you've just come to this opinion, it sure does look good, but the cost is too much and the work is too hard. But yet this morning in our text here in 2 Chronicles, I see that we learn a lot about sanctification. In fact, the word is used here in a very concentrated way, so much so that I believe it's important for us to take some time and study it here in 2 Chronicles chapter 29, 30, and 31, and to see this morning that there's some lessons to be learned from sanctification and from a cast iron skillet. So would you stand please for the reading of God's word this morning? We'll read 2 Chronicles 29. If you're in 2 Corinthians chapter 29, that doesn't exist. 2 Chronicles chapter 29, beginning in verse number 1. Hezekiah began to reign when he was five and twenty years old, and he reigned nine and twenty years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. He, in the first year of his reign, in the first month, opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. And he brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them together into the east street and said unto them, Hear ye, or hear me, ye Levites, sanctify now yourselves and sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers and carry forth the filthiness out of this holy place. For our fathers have trespassed and done that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord our God, and have forsaken Him, and have turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord, and turned their backs. And there's much more we could read there, but we'll take our leave of the text here. I'll ask you to be seated as we pray together this morning for our message. Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would be with us today. Lord, give me the strength that I need to be able to present accurately what is here in this text, both uh, mentally, physically, uh, to be able to stand before these people here today. They came here, Lord, not to hear a speech. They came here not to just hear some sort of motivational effort today. Lord, they came because they wanted to hear from your Holy Spirit, I do believe. I pray that you would help us all to realize our need of salvation, but also our need of sanctification on a daily basis to be clean before you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It says here in verse number five, Hear me, ye Levites, sanctify now yourselves and sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers. This young king, this Hezekiah, realizing the need for sanctification. Now, as a reminder, we came to the conclusion from our study in the scriptures over the past few weeks that for a person or a thing to be sanctified, that meant that they were selected, that they were set apart, and that they were spotless. Remember that they were selected uh, for a particular purpose. They were set apart, that they were not intermingled with everything else that wasn't of the same mission, but also that they were spotless, that they were clean and holy. And certainly this morning as we look at this text, I think we'll see more of an emphasis on that third point, that being spotless and what sanctification means as we live holy before the Lord. But 
when we get into our text here, we kind of jumped right into, parachuted, if you will, into our text here in 2 Chronicles chapter 29, we find that Israel is now a divided kingdom. As you're often familiar with Israel being a united kingdom under the kingship of Saul and David and Solomon. Well, after Solomon has passed from the scene, about 200 years have passed. And now Hezekiah, the great, 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 and some grandchild of Solomon is on the throne. His father, Ahaz, was king before him. Ahaz would have been one of the most wicked kings that Judah had ever had. Remember, a divided kingdom, 10 tribes of the north in Israel, two tribes of Judah in the south, including the city of Jerusalem, as well as the temple. Ahaz was a very wicked king. Uh, he did much idolatry. Uh, he did much lewdness and allowed much lasciviousness, much sinfulness from the surrounding communities, from the surrounding areas into uh, the uh, nation of Judah, as well as specifically into the temple of God right here. And so Hezekiah becomes king in his father's stead and immediately realizes the need for the temple to be cleansed. He realized that the temple was not what God had called it to be. And we talked a little bit about this in Sunday school, didn't we? That the temple worship, the tabernacle worship, was not to be done in the way that man had desired it or deemed it within his own heart, but rather that man was to follow the word of God in the way and method of which he was to worship in the tabernacle and in the temple. So there's all of these things that are in the temple that don't belong in the temple. And Hezekiah, at the very first year, and then it says in the very first month, and then later on we'll find in verse number uh, uh, 17, I believe, that on the very first day of his reign, on day one of his inauguration, of day one of his ascent to the monarchy, he says this, we've got to clean the temple. We've got to sanctify it. We've got to make things right here again. And once again, I believe that this is a great text for us to study this morning because in chapters 29, 30, and 31, some form of the word sanctify is used 15 different times. And this is notable because the word sanctify or some form of it is only found in 125 verses in all of the Bible, 66 books of the Bible. So we see the greatest concentration of verses dealing with sanctification here in the life of Hezekiah in chapters 29, 30, and 31. As such, we would be remiss not to take a few moments and to realize what's going on here in the reign of Hezekiah as he is sanctifying the temple and sanctifying the people and how does that relate to us here today as well? And so as we look at sanctification, there's a few things that I see. First of all, I see this. Sanctification always needs a time of removal. So number one, we see that sanctification needs a time of removal. To do a proper cleanup, you have to get rid of things first, don't you? I mean, I have this pan that's up here, and uh, if I was to just season this pan, you know what I mean by season the pan? You know, you get some oil and you put it on there and you kind of put it on low heat to make sure that it kind of just gets that nice gloss or that nice coating on it so nothing sticks on it. But if I was to glaze this pan without removing the stuff that's on there first, uh, it wouldn't be very pretty, would it? It wouldn't do very well at all. Uh, just like, you know, when kids try to clean a room and you realize all they do is end up throwing everything in a corner or under the bed or in the closet. Like, we've never seen that before, right? Uh, they do all of those things. It's like, no, to clean the room, you got to get rid of the junk first. There's some things that you got to get out before cleansing can really begin. 
And sanctification is much the same way. You say, Pastor, I am interested in this process of sanctification. Well, before we can truly understand what sanctification is, there are some things within our life, there are some things within our hearts or within our minds that we must have to remove first before this process begins. And we see that right here in our text. Because we see, first of all, there was a cleansing of the sanctuary. There was a cleansing of the sanctuary. We just read that in verses 3 through 5 where it says, He in the first year of his reign, in the first month, opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. And he brought the priests and the Levites and gathered them together into the east street. And he said unto them, Hear me ye, you Levites, sanctify yourselves and sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers and carry forth the what? The filthiness out of this place. Now, do you believe when he's talking about the filthiness, he's talking about the fact that it needs a good dusting? Do you think that maybe he's talking about the need for a few Purell stations around there to make sure that everyone has cleansed their hands? No, no. He's talking about something much deeper than outward filthiness. He's talking about cleansing from those things which were unholy. He's talking about things that were dedicated to idols, things that were dedicated to the false gods of the Canaanites that were around there, the Israelites that knew God, that knew Jehovah God in their corrupted nature had started to incorporate within their own worship. In fact, some even removing Jehovah from the equation. And by the way, you can't worship God and devils at the same time. You can't worship both God and, and, and mammon. You can't worship God and devils. You can't worship God and false gods at the same time. So there is no equivalency there whatsoever. But, but even in, the, in their error, they tried to mix it. But then in some cases, they didn't even try to even have any pretense of saying they serve God. They just removed God from the equation altogether and served these false idols. And all of this filthiness, all of these icons, all of these idols, all of these false altars had been heaped into the temple like it was some sort of God storage unit to include all of these areas for all of these gods and in case almost as if we see in the book of Acts where on Mars Hill they had all of those areas for all the gods and they were so superstitious they even had a, an area for the unknown god because they were afraid they were going to miss one. But that's what's happening here. And they have all of these different areas for all these different gods. And what Hezekiah says is this, it's filthy. We got to get rid of it. It's rubbish. It's got to go. There needs to be a good cleansing. And what happens, look at verse number 15. Go, drop down a little bit in your text. And they gathered their brethren and sanctified themselves. There's that word again. And came according to the commandment of the king by the words of the Lord to cleanse the house of the Lord. By the way, they weren't going to clean the house of the Lord until they cleaned themselves. They had to make sure that they had right hands and right hearts before they came to the house of God. This is my message this morning, but you know one of the things that will help you when you come to church is you make sure that you have clean hands and a clean heart before you come to church. You say, Pastor, well, we didn't have any Purell this morning. Is that what you said? No, we're not talking about Purell. Why do you keep talking about that? No, no one's talking about that. We're talking about the fact that we need to make sure that we are right with God before we come to church. Say, Pastor, well, I thought I was supposed to come to church to get right with God. Well, I mean, certainly it's a great place to do it. But wouldn't it be even better if before we came to church, we said, Lord, I want to make sure before I get to your house that I have the right heart. Will you illuminate some places in my life where I'm not right with you? Will you show me the wicked way within me so I can make sure when I go to the house of God? And listen, the church and the temple are not the same thing. I'm not trying to break an equivalence there. But at the same time, we do call this God's house. And shouldn't we come here cleansed? Shouldn't we come here either to be cleansed or to cleanse. And it goes on and says in verse 16, and the priest went into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it. 
and brought out all the uncleanness that they found in the temple of the Lord into the court of the house of the Lord. And the Levites took it to carry it out abroad into the brook Kidron. And they began on the first day of the first month to sanctify. You see, it's not just the first year or the first month. It's the first day of the first month to sanctify. And on the eighth day of the month, they came to the porch of the Lord. So they sanctify the house of the Lord in eight days. And the 16th day of the first month, they made an end. So it says in eight days, it took them to clean the interior. And another eight days, it took them to cleanse the exterior. It took them 16 days to remove all of the nastiness from the false gods that had invaded the temple of the living God. And verse 18 says, Then when they went in to Hezekiah the king and said, We have cleansed all the house of the Lord and the altar of the burnt offering with all the vessels thereof and the showbread table and the vessels thereof. You can't read that section without seeing these two words, cleansed and sanctified. That for this people to be sanctified, they had to be cleansed. For the temple of God to be sanctified, it had to be cleansed, which meant this. Something that didn't belong had to be removed. And I would say this, the first hindrance to sanctification, no, no, the first hindrance to personal sanctification is maybe years of neglect that you have had in your own heart and your own life some spiritual rubbish that needs to be removed before we can consider personal sanctification. No, I'm not talking about salvation. No, you, you can't get saved by reforming yourself. That's not salvation. Salvation is trusting in Jesus Christ, your Savior, and repenting of your sins. And you know what he does? He does the cleansing. But I'm talking about the fact that once we are saved, that we realize that there's some things that maybe are inside that don't belong. And we have to ask the Lord to help us to keep removing those things, not to stay saved, but rather to have a right relationship with him. Because remember, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 tells us that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost, where the Holy Ghost is not the guest who lives inside of us, but rather we are the guest who has been given this body by the Holy Ghost. Maybe I need to say that again. That the Holy Ghost is not the guest who is inside of us, but that we are the guest who has been given this body by the Holy Ghost. And as such, if he says to clean it, well, we got to clean it because it don't belong to us. It belongs to him. But for some, this process can be hindering. For some people see this need of sanctification. You know what? There's some things I've got to do. But you know what? There's always next week. There's always another church service. There's always another month. About this time of year, I find that people have decisions they know they need to make in their life, spiritually or otherwise, and they don't make them. You know why? Because oftentimes they'll say this, I'll start in the new year. It's like, well, but you got two and a half months before we get there. Why are you going to wait for the new year? Some people, they know there's a lot to do spiritually, but they're overwhelmed. You ever feel that way? No, just overwhelmed. You ever feel like that? There are times this week that I've felt... I know all the things that I should have been doing, not I should have been doing, I've not been well, but things that, you know, it doesn't matter whether a pastor's sick or not, life just kind of keeps going. And, and so have you ever got to the point where you see this list that's so long, you say this, well, I don't think I'm going to do any of it. Am I the only one that does that? Okay, apparently so. Uh, no, but you feel so overwhelmed by the list. You're like, I don't even know where to start, so you just don't do anything. I feel like some people spiritually do the same thing. Oh, pastor, there's just so much. 
that I've got to do. So, you know, the best thing to do is just none of it. Do you think that's the Holy Spirit that's telling you that? Do you think it's God that says, you know what? You've got a lot to work on, so just don't do any of it because you're a loser. No, no, and I'm not even trying to be sarcastic in how they say that because that's how Satan speaks to you. No, he says that you're a spiritual loser, that, that you're no good, that you, you have no worth to God and you're no worth to man, you're no worth to your family. So why even attempt to do anything with any of it? Because where are you going to begin? But no, no, what we have to do is realize that the process of sanctification starts by us saying this, we got to get some cleansing. By the way, cleansing takes time. Now, Jesus forgives us right away. I'm not saying that he doesn't. But the process of being more like Christ takes a lifetime. It took a bunch of people 16 days to clean out the temple. How long do you think it will take to systematically remove all those strongholds in your life? Take a while. Well, Pastor, I'm still struggling with smoking. Why am I still struggling with that? Well, because your flesh doesn't want you to quit, and neither does Satan. So fight on. Fight on. It's okay. Fight on. Well, Pastor, I, I still struggle with what I look at on the television, or I still struggle with what I look at on my phone, or what I scroll, scroll past, or what I see on my computer. No, no, fight on, because it's Satan, the one that says, ah, don't worry about it. Just let the rubbish, just let it build up. I mean, what does it even matter? A little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit more here, a little bit more there. That's not Jesus Christ speaking to you. That's Satan who wants to defeat you, who in the spiritual warfare of your life says, it's not even worth fighting. Just lay down your arms and die. But sanctification is worth it, friend. And it starts with cleansing. What does James 4, 8 say? Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. He's talking to believers there. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Again, we understand that we cannot cleanse ourselves. It's only through the blood of Jesus Christ. But at the same time, we have to present ourselves to him, don't we? To present ourselves humble and ready to be cleansed. So we have to cleanse ourselves. Well, it's too hard, Pastor. You know, I haven't been to church for a while, or I haven't been regular at church, or I haven't confessed my sins to God in a long time, or I can't remember the last time I read my Bible and it made sense and, I, and it really meant something to me, or I can't even remember the last time I listened to a sermon. I mean, you say, well, I'm here now. No, I mean, listen to a sermon. Not just sat through one, but listen, not just with the ear, but with the heart. That's what sanctification is all about. It's about, Lord, I need to be cleaned. I know it's not going to be easy, but it is simple. The plan is simple, isn't it? It's all about Jesus. Present myself to him. And that's what they did here. So I saw that the time of removal is not just cleansing the sanctuary, but it's also removing the stumbling blocks. There were some stumbling blocks specifically that needed to be removed. Look at, again at verse number 16. It says that, when the priests went into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it and brought out all the uncleanness that they found in the temple of the Lord, uh, found in the temple of the Lord into the court of the house of the Lord, and the Levites took it to carry it out abroad into the brook Kidron. Now, go to verse, uh, chapter number 31 quickly in verse number 1, just a few pages away. Chapter 31, verse 1. Now, when all this was finished, all Israel that were present went out to the cities of Judah and break the images in pieces. You know what an image is, right? It's an idol. It's an icon. Break the images in pieces and cut down the groves and threw down the high places and the altars out of all Judah and Benjamin and Ephraim, also in Manasseh, until they had utterly destroyed them all. Then all the children of Israel returned, every man to his possession, into their own cities." So the Bible makes clear that when it comes to this issue of sanctification, it's not just getting the rubbish out. It's making sure that you have provision made in your life to keep it out. So what did they do? 
Well, you know, they took the icons and the groves and everything, and they smashed them to smithereens. There was no going back. There was no taking it to the secondhand store. There was no selling it on eBay. There was no trying to make a quick buck off of it on the way out. You know what they said? We don't want this anymore. And we want to make sure that we do not have a way to go back to this mess again. And what I have found to be true in many Christians' lives, and I found to be true in my own life as well, if I was to be perfectly candid with you this morning, there are many times that God makes clear through preaching. There's many times that God makes clear through reading my Bible that there's some things in my life that are not right some things that need to be confessed, some things that need to be forsaken. And if I'm not careful, what ends up happening is that I will confess it and I will forsake-ish it. And you see what I said? I'll forsake-ish it. You know, eh. Lord, I'm sorry. I know I shouldn't be drinking, but I'm going to leave that case of beer in the fridge just in case. Oh, Lord, I, I know I shouldn't be, I know I shouldn't be looking at those things, but I'm not going to put filtering service on my, on my internet, or I'm not going to leave my, I'm not going to leave my computer in a place where other people can see it just to keep myself accountable. And I've heard people say this, well, pastor, what do you think? I'm a baby. What do you, what is this legalism? What do you think this is? No, it's saying this, I don't want a stumbling block before me so that I'm tempted. Well, you say that the Bible says that you have to, I'm not saying that the Bible says you have to have a filtering service. I'm not saying that the Bible says you can't have a television in your home. I'm not saying the Bible says you can't have a smartphone. I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying why, if we, certain of us have issues with certain temptations, and by the way, we're all tempted by different things. Why would we purposely put those stumbling blocks back in our life? Here's what we do. Just get rid of it. Get rid of the dirty books. Uh, get, get rid of those things uh, that, that, that excite your eyes in the way that's not pleasing to God. Get rid of those things that bring temptation into your life. No, no, don't make provision that, well, maybe someday I'll go back to it. No, no, say this. The, the Jesus Christ said, he who is free from sin is free indeed, and I don't want any of it anymore. Take it out past the Brook Kidron. You know where that is? It was beyond Jerusalem. They said this, we're not just going to put it uh, back in the shed behind the temple so that the next king can bring it back. No, we're going to get rid of it. We're going to destroy it. We're going to light it on fire. We're going to make sure that's nothing left. What do we do? We make no provision. This is what the Bible says for the flesh. Make no provision for the flesh. You know, back in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 19, in the city of Ephesus, they had a great revival. People got saved. And it was a place of great witchcraft. And it was a place of great immorality. And it says in Acts chapter 19, verse 18 through 20, and many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also, which used curious arts, that's talking about witchcraft and things like that. By the way, witchcraft isn't something that's just from the past. I just thought I'd throw that in for you right now, that spiritual wickedness and witchcraft and those kind of things, it's not the kind of thing that we as believers laugh at or think that's funny or cute, particularly at this time of year, is that it's real things. And if you go to a place like Salem here in a week or two, you'll find out whether it's real or not. Now, is God greater? Well, you better believe that God's greater. But we don't want to dabble in those kind of things. Well, it's a Ouija board. It's funny. It's not funny and it's not cute. It's something that a believer ought to stay away from. But it says this, they had curious arts, and that's what it's talking about, brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. And I read this, that if according to an equivalency, if it was the Greek drachma that would have been used, that they would have burned over $6 million worth of books. 
But you know what they said? We're not going back. We're not going back to that stuff. We want no part of it. And it's amazing that at the end of that text, it says that it was 50,000 pieces of silver, so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. Do you think it's a coincidence that there was great revival when they got rid of the stumbling blocks in their life? Maybe you're just tired of going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth to the same sin over and over again. Could I encourage you? Whatever the stumbling block is, you say stumbling block. No, no, what makes you trip and fall back into that sin again? Remove it. Get it out. For the, by the grace of God, he'll help you with that, but remove it. Philippians 3, verse 8, Paul said this, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Paul said this, I would rather count everything in my life but dung. You understand what we're saying? Do I need to spell that out this morning? He says, I would take all of that and count it but dung, so that I could have more of Christ. All of those things don't matter. You know what matters? Jesus Christ. He's what matters in our life. And so sanctification is the time of removal, which means cleansing the sanctuary, removing the stumbling blocks. But I also see that when it comes to this issue of sanctification, it's not just removal, but it's also about number two, a time of restoration. It's a time of restoration. I mean, you could get pretty intense with this, can't you? You can clean it out. You can get the rust out. And really, if you've ever seen it, once it gets cleaned out, it actually, you know, kind of looks a little bit pale. It doesn't have that real cast iron look that you would normally see because you've got to get down deep to get rid of all of this stuff that's dug in there. Anyway, uh, I see a trip to the dry cleaners for me in the future. But uh, if you don't take time to restore it after it's brought down to what it is, you've missed the very necessary element of cleansing this in the first place, haven't you? Because if you don't restore it properly, it's going to be right back in the same situation in a very short period of time. And you know when it comes to sanctification? I know what some of you are thinking. Oh, boy, this is an independent Baptist church because all the pastors talking about sin, 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 sin. That's, that's all they talk about. Don't do this and don't do that and don't go there and don't go there and don't click here and don't watch this and don't do... Pastor, that's all you talk about. Don't, 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 don't. Well, you know, there happens to be a few don'ts in the Bible. I remember 10 of them in Exodus chapter 20. There's a lot of don'ts in the Bible. But if the Christian life and if sanctification is just about the don'ts, then we've missed what sanctification is all about. You know why? Because if it's just don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, you're going to end up going back and doing it. And then you go back to the don'ts again and back, and you do end up getting into that circle where you just don't have victory in your life. But sanctification wasn't just about getting the junk out. It was about this. It was about keeping it out and cleansing it. So we see that there was a time of restoration. One of the things they did in chapter number 30, verse number one, is restoring the feasts. Look at verse number one. They restored the feasts. And Hezekiah sent all Israel and Judah and wrote letters also to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover unto the Lord God of Israel. By the way, this isn't my message, but remember the kingdom was divided. The kingdom had been divided because of many years of sin of Israel and of Judah. But you know what Hezekiah is doing? He's making overtures to the brethren who have departed. And he says this, come back. 
Is there not a message there? He says to those brethren, come back. Now, by the way, he's telling them to come back in cleanliness. But he says, I want you to come back. I want you to come to the temple with us. I want to have the feast with you. And the king had taken counsel and his princes and all the congregation in Jerusalem to keep the Passover in the second month, which was not the ordinary time to keep the Passover. But they were so zealous to restore the Passover, they had it a month later than normal just to be able to have it. And they could not keep it at that time because the priests did not sanctify themselves sufficiently. Neither had the people gather themselves together for Jerusalem. And the thing pleased the king and all the congregation. So they established a decree to make proclamation throughout all Israel, from Beersheba even to Dan, that they should come to keep the Passover unto the Lord God of Israel at Jerusalem. For they had not done it of a long time in such sort as it was written. So what do they say? We've got to get back to the feasts. Why did they get back to the feasts? Because God had told them to have the feasts. Now, do we have to have the feast of the Passover and the feast of weeks today and those other high days like the Israelites do? No, we're not required to follow those today. But I will say that the keeping of the Passover was significant because it was a reminder of what God had done for them in their past. Could I just help you this morning? If you're dealing with this issue of sanctification and you're trying to bring some restoration into your life and you're trying to get some encouragement in your life, just remember what God did for you in your past. Just remember how good God has been to you in your past. Are you saved today by the grace of God? Remember what he did for you in your past. You remember those times when you didn't realize, you didn't even know which way you were going to go. You, you didn't see a way out. There was only door A and door B and neither of them were good. And all of a sudden God showed up with door C and he did far exceedingly greater than anything you could have asked and you could have imagined. Can I tell you, when you get discouraged or when you consider going back to sin or can you consider bringing those stumbling blocks back in your life, remember all all the good deeds that God has done for you in your life. The time that he delivered you, the time that he gave you a restoration, the time that he brought blessings into your life that you knew you didn't deserve, but out of his manifold grace and mercy, he brought them to you anyway. Let's remember the good things that God has done for us in our life. If you want to clean this up and you want to prime this up and have it to stay what it needs to be, then remind yourself how good God has been to you. Amen. And that's what they were doing at the Passover. But they also restored the commandments. They also restored the commandments. Not just the feast, but the commandments, the word of God. Go back to chapter 31, verse number 20 and 21. And thus did Hezekiah throughout all Judah and wrought that which was good and right and truth before the Lord is God. Can't get better than that, can you? Good and right and truth. And in every work that he began in the service of the house of God and in the law and in the commandments to seek his God, he did it with all his heart and prospered. By looking at all they restored, we're reminded that sanctification, really Christian living in general, isn't just about throwing a bunch of things out. It's about restoring the things that need to be restored reminding ourselves how good God has been to us and reminding his, ourselves that his word must be supreme in our lives. And when it does, it's like taking that skillet and just putting that shell around it to help protect it from all the gross things of sin that are out there today. What good is it if I was to clean the pan and never put, took the steps to protect it? It needs to be seasoned. In fact, Jesus warned against this in Matthew chapter 12. He said, if an unclean spirit was God out of a man, but yet replaced that unclean spirit with nothing, he says, 
seven devils even worse than the one that came out, we'll go back in. And really, isn't that the principle that we need to have in our Christian lives? It's this. It's not just about taking a bunch of stuff out, but it's about putting the right things back in. Reminding ourselves how good God has been to us and recognizing and regarding God's word as truth in our life in every situation. Would you turn to Ephesians chapter 4? We're almost done this morning. Ephesians chapter number 4. There's a great principle that's here that I hope will be a help to you today. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 22. Ephesians near the back of your Bible. You have Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse number 22. It says this, that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. Now, let's just stop and break that down for a second. The former conversation. You remember what you were before you got saved? I don't, because I probably didn't know you. But you know who does remember? You do. You know who else remembers? Satan does. And he loves reminding you what you used to be, didn't he? Oh, he loves bringing up what you used to be. And the Bible says this, when it comes to the former conversation of the old man, no, the old man, meaning the life that you had before you got saved, it says this, put it off, put it off. It, it, it literally means to just throw it off, as if I was to just take my coat and throw it off right now, which I'm not because my microphone's on there and Brother Anthony will like faint if I take my coat off and mess up the microphone. He might pass out back there. I don't want him to do that. But if I was to just take my coat off right now, that's literally what it says to do with that old life. No, don't, don't go back to it. Don't reminisce about the good old days. By the way, some of you talk, think about the good old days before you got saved. They weren't that good. Isn't it funny how time kind of filters some of those things out? You know, it really wasn't that bad. Yeah, it, it, it was so great that you realized... I need to forsake that life and trust Jesus Christ as my Savior. No, they weren't that good. You, you don't want those. But it says put those off. Put off the old life. Don't try to put that coat back on again, if you will. But it says, which is corrupt according to deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Verse 24, and that ye, what's the next two words? Put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. The principle of sanctification is this. It's put off the old ways and put on the way of righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ. It's not just to put off without putting on. If you put off without putting on, guess what? You are leaving yourself open to attacks from Satan. If you put on without putting off, guess what? You're just adding cleanliness on top of filthiness. And that doesn't work either, does it? The Bible says this. You put off and then you put on. That's what real sanctification is. I'm not talking about salvation. If you don't know if you're going to heaven today, I'm not talking about self-reformation. That's not salvation. Salvation is this. I know that I'm a sinner, that only Jesus Christ can forgive me of my sins. I repent of those sins and call upon Christ to save me and he'll save me. That's what salvation truly is. Personal sanctification in my day-to-day -day life is this, is I need to keep short accounts with God. I confess my sin to him. Remember 1 John 1? We looked at this a few weeks ago. I confess my sins to him daily. I confess my sins to him even more often. In fact, I confess my sins to him when I do them, or I should, 
so that I can keep that right relationship with him. But some of you, this whole process is overwhelming. You know you need to be right with God, but it just seems like it's too much. There's so many things I need to do, Pastor. Can I help you with this? Just start today. He'll help you. Just start today. He'll help you. I actually brought two pans with me today. This one's from home. We've had this one for about 15 years. It's, uh, it's in good shape. Because unlike, I think, what some of you thought a few minutes ago, I actually know how to take care of one of these. And uh, Diane and I do, and you know, you, you scrape it, and you do it, and you oil it, and, you, and we do all those things. And it's, uh, I tell you, you make a steak in this, oh, oh, son, that's good stuff. I mean, you can get a sear on that. You can make some really amazing food with a cast iron skillet. You use a cast iron skillet the right way, you don't want to use your nonstick pans, your Teflons, that kind of stuff. Well, it's easy to clean. Okay, I get that. But I'll tell you, this isn't actually that hard to clean if you keep it season the right way. And it's even not what I actually, um, it's not all that it needs to be apparently, uh, but uh, just from a, you know, far inspection, it's pretty good, isn't it? You know, it's a, but then we have, we have other, we have over here, this right here, where I bet there's a lot of people here today that say this, pastor, I'd take that pan off your hands for free right now if someone would clean it for me. I think a lot of people want this. In fact, that was manifest from two different yard sales. Well, everybody wants it. They just want someone else to do the work. But here's something I want to leave you with spiritually before we go. When it comes to this issue of sanctification, I feel like people say, Pastor, it's just too hard. It's too much. I can't do it. I don't have the know-how. I don't have the ability. Because listen, not everybody knows how to clean one of these. Now, I mean, we can all Google it. We can all go on YouTube. But not everyone knows exactly how to do the right materials, the right time frame, all these different things. But here's what I want to leave you with the sanctification this morning. Pastor, I see what you're saying. It's too much work. Let me leave you with this thought. It's not you who does the work. It's Jesus Christ. Everybody would want this if someone cleansed it for them and gave it to them for free. Oh, everybody would want this. But nobody wants to do the work. Do you realize when it comes to your sanctification, here's what you need to do. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Lord, here's an area of my life you've made clear through your word. I'm not conforming to what you have told me to do. Well, I'm going to cleanse my... No, forgive me, Lord. Show me some ways that in my heart and life that I don't go back to that again. And as you show those to me, show, show me some guardrails I can put in place. And as you do... I'll put them in place. And you know what? You don't do the work. You're just open to the work being done. You submit yourself to Christ, and he's the one that does the work. Can I tell you? You go down to Lodge, or you go down to one of those places that make these things, and the people that know what they're doing could do it really well. Who can clean a life better than the one who created the life in the first place? It's Jesus Christ. Some of you look at the Christian life and say it's far too much work and you're putting the emphasis on the work on the wrong person. 
rest in the completed work of Jesus Christ. Be willing to listen to his spirit as he tells you what needs to be cleaned and how it needs to be cleaned. He will be the one who cleans you. Let me ask you, when people went to Jesus Christ, did they clean themselves first and then go to Jesus? Did the lepers cleanse themselves and then go to Jesus? Did the woman who was brought in adultery cleanse herself and then come to Jesus? Because you brought to Jesus. Did the woman with the issue of blood, who was perpetually bleeding, did she have to stop her issue of blood and then go to Jesus? No, these were people that knew this. I just need to go to Jesus. And with open hearts, with open hearts, he did the work that only he could do. Pastor, what do you think? We're a bunch of church people around here? Well, no. I'm your pastor. I know we're not a bunch of church people around here. And I'm not either. I don't know if what you want to call as defined as church people. We seem to be real people. But what we need to be is people with open hearts to the Lord to let him do the work, the sanctification and cleansing in our life. And we'll be better than quote unquote church people. We can be his people living the way that he desires for us to live. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the pulpit of Liberty Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, or if there's any way we can serve you, please let us know by contacting us at info at mylibertybaptist.org, or you can visit us this Sunday at 800 Washington Street in Easton, Massachusetts. May the Lord bless you as you grow in his word.